0: This is Atenea Americana, Atenea Americana, Atenea Americana, A window to the Latin universe Stanford, 90.1 FM, Ryan. Atenea Americana, This is Atenea Americana, Bilingual House of Culture, on the air and online, Su casa de la cultura en la radio y online. Para la radio 90.1 KCSU Stanford. I am Isabel Jubes. Isabel Jubes. Bienvenidos. Atenida, a Americana. Americana. Welcome. Welcome Bienvenidos. From Stanford to the World. we're here back at our show live at Stanford radio and our guest is Carlos Jose Rodriguez Santiago he is originally from Puerto Rico but he grew up here in California he is a chemical engineer who has been working in an innovation lab here at Stanford for the last few years and has been working in developing proteins At this lab. He is here to talk us a little bit about his job, about the path to become a researcher in the health industry, about what it is a chemical and bioengineer and bioengineering and uh, to tell us more about his history and his experience during the last pandemic so uh, stay with us here in Atenea Americana and remember that this and all our shows are at stanfordhispanicbroadcasting.org More important the work they do. So, welcome here to Ateneo Americana, Carlos. Thank you for coming.
1: Thank you, Isabel. I'm really happy to be here.
0: Yes. And for the people on the radio, today we are doing something new. We're trying a live cast, at least for a few minutes. We're not going to prolong this too long, at our website in. Um, Facebook if you can look for us as Atene Americana or as at Stanford Hispanic Broadcasting you'll find us at Facebook and tell us a little bit about yourself let's start you are from Puerto Rico tell us uh, a little bit of your road to get here like you grew up there you were born in a different place <laughs>
1: it's it's a fun little story and it starts back in the year 1994 I was born on the island of Puerto Rico San Juan I was raised there for six years and I was raised up to learn Spanish. Um, and my dad worked for this biotechnology company called Amgen. They make, they make pharmaceuticals to help people, you know, treat their illnesses. My mom also started working there as a medical technologist. And between the two, an electrical engineer and a biomedical technologist, uh, they met each other at this company and they had me. And many years later, I would turn out to be a chemical engineer myself. We moved here to Southern California in the year 2000, and then I, I came here not knowing any bit of English, and I had to get the help of after school to learn the language of English. And eventually I found myself in high school where I liked chemistry and physics, and I did, and I also liked robotics. So it was the marriage of the three of those things, chemistry, physics, robotics, that sounds like chemical engineering. So then I studied at UC Riverside uh, chemical engineering and I did four years of undergraduate research there trying to discover antibodies against different um, protein cancers, MMP14. And when I, when I started doing research, I really loved it and I wanted to continue. So I, I went off to the University of Michigan to go get my master's in chemical engineering to learn a little bit more about it. And then I moved back to the Bay Area, working for a small startup, started by a professor of bioengineering, and I was helping to discover antibodies against different immuno-oncology diseases. And last but not least, after that company was acquired, I helped train the next person. I got the opportunity to come work here at Stanford at the Innovative Medicines Accelerator.
0: Mm, awesome just the name is amazing that's what we need innovation
1: innovation medicines treating human health this is what what drives me it's what it's what helped make me and it's what's brought me here
0: awesome and then you were telling me that as soon as you started well you came here the pandemic was pretty much going on you were also before you came here you found uh, something very important related to the pandemic
1: that's right so because i'm a biochemical engineer it was it was march of 2020 that we got shut down and it was very soon after that my that the boss at the company said hey you know what you have a special skill set i want you to find antibodies that can target covid and so within a matter of two weeks in the month of april i was able to use these use these engineered yeast that have antibodies on their surface and I was able to discover antibodies that could block the protein interaction between the virus spike protein and the ACE2 receptor and eventually we discovered these antibodies, transferred them to Stanford and they were able to run with it and we got some publications out of that.
0: Good and uh, so uh, a lot of labs around the planet had to stop everything they were doing and focus on COVID. Well, you obviously work on COVID, too. So how, how did it go? Did, I suppose you guys, not just for a while, not just did a little bit of COVID, but you kind of focus on that, and then now you're back to, hey, there are other things that are happening, too.
1: That's right. I believe, so during the pandemic, because it was related to biotechnology and health, Biotechnology got a special permission to keep working and work on COVID to try and expedite the process. Ev- everybody and everybody was trying to find either a vaccine or neutralizing antibodies uh, or some kind of solution, some antiviral drugs. So biotechnology kept on going ahead, but really laser focused. And I think that was part of the why we were able to get a vaccine so quickly, because everybody was trying to tackle this problem. And I know that they did a lot of work on Stanford campus for COVID, and there was many, many publications that came out of that work. But now that Depend, everybody's been able to get the vaccines, hopefully, we're able to scale back on the COVID side and start working on, you know, other, other pressing problems as well.
0: Well, and you were telling me that one of the many problems that you've been tackling lately, you personally, one of your projects is you had to do something with cancer and immunodeficiency diseases.
1: That's right. So I've been working on a lot of projects with professors. So as part of my job here as a research engineer, I'm trying to connect professors with the solutions that they want. They say, hey, I have this really interesting target and I want an antibody that will target this disease and will recruit the immune system to combat either the cancer or the diabetes. Because my special skill set is in protein engineering, I can help them bridge that gap because they don't know how to create a drug that will be going into people, right? A
0: pharmaceutical drug solution. Yeah, I, for us lay people that are not bioengineered, one of the things that I people kept saying is like, well, coming back to our, you know, sea of knowledge now, everybody knows everything about diseases because COVID came. <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> so one of the things they say is like because you know, they already have the method also of what Pfizer is. That particular style of, of vaccine, it was already kind of underway. And when they found uh, the, the the vaccine, now they had this extremely cool pool of people who were going to be trying it. And now we can use whatever method or technology to fa- to, to deliver other type of vaccines. plain to us.
1: That's right. So I think that the technology for the mRNA vaccines, the big, I believe the technology for the mRNA vaccine was discovered and written about in the year 2005. And people had been thinking about, okay, well, in the past we've used, you know, we've used reduced viruses, viruses that are inactivated to try and stimulate the immune system to learn how to fight it or to create this really expensive recombinant protein and then put that into people so that they can develop an immune response. But it really took kind of this pandemic, the urgency of the pandemic, to kick this into high gear. I believe the, the project name uh, Warp Speed was the, the name for the speeding up of um, the vaccines rollout. And that was a really impressive feat. And I think it's really changed everybody's thinking about, you know, how fast can we get these drugs and medicines to people? Previously, it was thought that it would take somewhere between 10 and 20 years between initial discovery to getting into people. Well, the pandemic has kind of helped shorten that. Maybe it was still 15 years, but now we know that we can do it in under two to three. Two to three, maybe five. But it's just really impressive to think about you know, how far we've come. And it, this has opened up a golden age of opportunity for biotechnology, I think. There have been a lot of technologies that have come out of this, and we're we're gonna solve some really big problems very soon.
0: So you were telling me you were were born in the island, and uh, um, but how isn't most? Or I, I always thought that most of uh, Puerto Rican uh, public education, well, general education, was bilingual.
1: Yes. Um. Well, I don't know. I, I was I was in kindergarten. I was in preschool in kindergarten in Puerto Rico. So maybe I didn't have enough time within that bilingual system, but it's true that my cousins who are still on the island and went through the education system there, they know Spanish and English both very well. They they do prefer to speak in Spanish because that's that's their native yes. tongue. So Meanwhile, for me it's a little bit flipped, but I've still been able to retain quite a bit of my Spanish speaking.
0: Well, yeah. <laughs> Un poquito. <laughs> Yes, and, well, for the new listeners, uh, remember that we normally do half of our broadcasting in Spanish and half of our broadcasting in English, and we're going to be, well, doing most of this again (laughs) in in Spanish a little bit later. But, well, I think, I mean, it was a good try today. We'll probably keep doing more of this uh, face live from the station uh, from now on. Let's see how it goes. But now we're going to say bye to... The people, <laughs> the people online. And remember that these and all our shows, I normally put them later in podcast format at Stanford Hispanic Or you can also find us on dot Americana.com. And well, today, uh, video broadcasting is at Facebook. Also, you can find us both ways Stanford Hispanic Broadcasting or Atenea Americana. And, well, stay with us here. Thank you for listening to Atenea Americana, your house of culture in the radio and online. In this bilingual show, I bring you every week one hour in English and one hour in Spanish, opening a window to the cultural Hispanic world. You can hear in the intro and at the final of the show, as well as right now, music from the legend of Latin jazz, Oscar Hernandez. This and all my shows are in stanfordhispanicbroadcasting.org, where I wait for your comments. I invite you to be part of this. back at KCSU Stanford. And remember that today we are talking with our guest. He is a bioengineer here at Stanford at the Innovation Accelerator Lab.
1: Innovative Medicines Accelerator.
0: Yeah, that's the best name ever. And he's talking with us about, well, but but he does biotechnology and new things and innovation in biotechnology and remember that this is Atene Americana and well and the name of our guest again is Carlos José Rodriguez Santiago Gracias (laughs) Yes So tell us a little bit about your day to day what what are you guys innovating and doing you were telling me something about diabetes something about yeah pretty much that one for a start
1: Yeah so at the, at the Innovative Medicines Accelerator, we're connecting professors and patients with solutions. Professors have the solutions, but they don't have the know-how to make the drugs, the antibodies against the different diseases. And one of the projects that I'm working on is against diabetes. This is really interesting because recently work at Stanford has found out that there are these misfolded proteins that that cause diabetes, there's was a, a study about what kind of genes are expressed within diabetes patients, and they found that these proteins are misfolding and they're splicing differently. And if you can just target or knock out this protein, then the diabetes goes away. The insulin sensitivity returns. And so I'm working on a project with some collaborators. They gave us the proteins, and we did the selections, campaigns, to try and discover these antibodies. It turns out that if you can target these splice junctions which are very rare in in the day-to-day population and they don't happen in healthy individuals who are sensitive to insulin if you target these splice junctions then you can remove that disease protein and you can maintain these beta cells which are responsible for insulin sensitivity if these beta cells die you lose insulin sensitivity if you keep them alive then you can you won't have the diabetes symptoms and you will be able to regulate your blood glucose.
0: So is said uh, your, your body is going to auto-regulate because you already lo- lose the disease that was not helping you do it? that way. These,
1: these proteins, these misfolded proteins are killing beta cells. And if we can remove those misfolded proteins, the beta cells will survive and insulin sensitivity and blood glucose regulation will return to the patient. We're trying to prove this first in mice and then once that proof of concept is shown in mice, then we can translate this to human.
0: Yeah, and those, well, normally when people say, well, we're used at the beginning, like people who is out there with diabetes, is this like something like maybe in 20 years or maybe in five years of, you don't know.
1: We're probably three years out from human trials. It's going to take one year to prove it in mice, but the whole idea behind this innovative Innovative Medicines Accelerator is we're trying to accelerate the timeline. We don't want to wait twenty years for a diabetes solution. We want to get one in less than five.
0: Yeah, <laughs> really. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the thing. Like, well, obviously, you are gonna put things in people's bodies, so you need to be careful. But again, if you are gonna find a cure for twenty years on, it's like also very disappointing.
1: We we found <laughs> the cure. Well, we we found a vaccine treatment for COVID. In a matter of two years, I I think that we've been working on these problems long enough and COVID's taught us enough lessons and tools that we can accelerate these timelines and our expectations while also taking every precaution so that we keep people safe.
0: Yeah, yeah, probably you already know what is, well, in general, we hope that people, researchers know what is safe to do and move forward. It's easier to to inject Um, people with weird things.
1: (laughs) We're that's a whole part of the process. The, the first part of the process is the discovery phase. Second part of the process is the characterization, testing out what works, how do we make it better, can we optimize what what we have discovered. And then the third part of that is testing, testing, testing. In mice, in people, making sure that there are no off-target effects, making sure that we have everything that we need and nothing that we don't in treating these diseases.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow, this. I mean, how... It's a very big chunk of the population who has diabetes. That
1: type 2 diabetes, I believe, affects between 10, 10, per, 10 to 20% of the population. It's closer to the 10, between the type 1 and type 2. And something that I've heard recently is that Alzheimer's is thought to be a type 3 diabetes. Mm. Somehow, Alzheimer's is also related to diabetes and gl- glucose sensitivity. So... It's really interesting stuff. biology and human health is all interconnected, and we're trying to get at those um, fundamental questions to create medicines for people
0: wow that's that's very interesting that was like one of them we keep thinking that you know uh, Alzheimer's had everything to do with the nerves and then you know and brain cells and then now and you know when you think about the evidence, it's something completely different I don't know I think about the liver and the pancreas and sugar
1: mm-hmm <laughs>
0: Putting both of them together is unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, everything in the body is just one body. <laughs>
1: it's just one body. Inflammation is a really big issue. One of the projects that I hope to work on... By the way, I'm going back to go get my PhD here at Stanford. I've, I've been working as a staff, but I'm going to take a step back, become a student, get my PhD. One of the things I hope to study is allergies. There's a lot of people out there in the world, I th- between around 20% of the population... Has has seasonal allergies. This is called allergic rhinitis, and it's an inflammation inside of the nose. It makes it hard to breathe, gives you a runny nose. Sometimes people get hives or itchiness, and it's a really big problem. And right now, everybody's just taking antihistamines, but antihistamines are not the end-all, be-all solution. They're just masking the symptoms. I'm trying to kind of get at the root cause of allergies, and we'll see what kind of mechanisms are involved in that. But basically, if we can treat diabetes by making sure that certain cells survive, maybe we can treat allergies by killing other certain cells because there's this one type of antibody in the body that is called an IgE. And these antibodies don't serve very much purpose other than giving you allergies, treating against parasites, or this other type of nematode. This is, yeah, So, but we have treatments for these parasites and nematodes right? You you have antiparasitic drugs. So we don't necessarily need that. We don't need the IgE antibodies. I'm looking to have a reset switch for allergies. So my hope is that over the course of the next three to four years, I'm not going to, I'm going to try and finish within four, I can find a solution for allergies. And I have the background to try and hopefully That's, do it.
0: That would be amazing. And Some allergies are life-threatening. I mean, rhinitis...
1: Uh, Allergic rhinitis, people think that this is just a stuffy nose, but there are other serious forms of allergies like gluten intolerance. What is it? Celiac disease. This is an overaction of the immune system and it just so happens that I can engineer the immune system molecule of an antibody. So, celiac disease, um, that's an interesting topic that I might want to cover. But other ones, autoimmune disorders, this is where you're your immune system somehow mistakes your own body as foreign, and it starts attacking it, and then you get, you know, really bad symptoms and effects from that. If you can treat one type of allergy, this opens the door to treating autoimmune diseases, celiac disease, yeah. things like that.
0: And and uh, well, one of I, I've been working in education for a long time, and one main thing that you see everywhere is not some peanuts allergies. And those are, you know, when you may or may not stop breathing is kind of a huge issue. It's not just a runny nose.
1: Anaphylaxis (laughs) is very serious. And there's some good news on that front. So recently there's been work done by this person named Carrie Nadeau. She works here at Stanford. She's within the immunology uh, department. And she's found out that the problem was for a long time that if you prevent young kids from getting exposed to these allergens, they'll develop um, an overreaction to it. So a better strategy is to expose them when they're young. So it's allergies actually develop because of an improper exposure to it. If you eat peanuts or shellfish when you're a baby, you don't have the immune system yet trained to know to fight it. But if you get peanuts or shellfish and It gets on your skin. If everybody around you is eating it and it's in the air and it lands on your skin and gets absorbed through the skin, then the immune system underneath the skin says, oh my gosh, this is a foreign pathogen. I haven't seen this before. And it starts to overreact. And so this is why people have been developing peanut peanut shellfish allergies is because we we had the wrong approach. Let's avoid it at all costs. But it turns out that that made it worse. So actually, small dose exposures when you're young, by eating it is actually very helpful for preventing allergies.
0: Yeah, I heard a lot of the treatments that they do today, and they, I, I know people in the Area that come to Stanford for those uh, treatments and studies, and then they give little dose to their kids uh, <laughs> so they can hopefully leave the peanut allergy behind, or food allergy in general.
1: That's right. Um, it's really interesting. Um, this small dose treatment by eating By eating it, you can develop a good immune response. Basically, anything that you put in your mouth through evolution has decided, you know, this is something that I'm eating, so it must not be bad for me. Sometimes your body decides, nope, I don't like that, I'm going to throw it up. But other times, no, this is supposed to be nutritious, and so I'm not going to recognize this as foreign, I'm going to recognize it as nutrients. So there's a very big difference there.
0: Good. So uh, then, uh, for example, example, you... That's how people start eating new things then, different things? Or the cultures, people eat something that is in a particular place and for generations have, and then they move, start eating something different. So I suppose that's how the body evolves with nutrition, or...
1: So I don't know so much about nutrition, but I do know that your immune system adapts to where you are and what you are doing. So if you are constantly outside... And you are, you know, picking flowers off of trees and eating them. Or if you are, you know, eating a diverse different types of meats and foods, you will most likely not develop an allergy against it. The problem comes when you are just barely exposed to something or if it, you are exposed to the thing improperly, like if it goes through the skin, you get a cut and then I get a bit of pollen inside that cut then all of a sudden, that might be how, you know, these allergic diseases come up.
0: And, uh, uh, well, it's 8 a.m., and remember that this is Atenea Americana, and that today we're talking about, well, biology and bio, bioengineering. And, uh, uh, well, we're going to start now in a few seconds our uh, section in Spanish and Thank you for listening uh, today to Atenea Americana and remember that this is KCSU 90.1 FM. And this was Atenea Americana. Atenea Americana, Atenea Americana. Stanford 90.1 FM Radio. Atenea Americana. A window to the Latin universe. This is Atenea Americana. Bilingual House of Culture, on the air and online. Su Casa de la Cultura, en la radio y online. Para la radio 90.1 KCSU, Stanford. I am Isabel Jubes. Isabel Jubez. Vuelve pronto. Atenea, Atenea Americana. Americana. From Stanford to the world. Remember to come back soon. Ciao. See you later.